Hey everybody, welcome to Listen Money Matters. We make money your bitch. My name is Matt and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you and what are you drinking? Awesome, man. I got a uh, a, a nice Belgian. It's our beer. It's uh, O-E-R-B-I-E-R. It's got this little yellow dude on the bottle, 9% APV. Starting Damn tasty. Off, starting off early, man. Where do you early. get where do you get all these? I, like some of the things that you get, I've never even heard of. Uh, so you know we have this liquor store, Sparrows, by us, and they have like a like a craft section, and it's like the weirdest stuff, and it's pretty cheap actually. Has it got build your own six packs there? I think I've asked. Yeah, this. yeah, yeah. I remember like I was looking at a local place they didn't have. This is like I don't know, like eight blocks away, but way better. Mm. Well, uh, I am drinking water because I don't have. You know, I do have. <laughs> we we know you're drinking water. Yeah, you don't say it anymore. I know. Well. Well, I don't know. The last episode, I I just drank nothing. So, you know, at least I'm you're, drinking you're something. You're barely alive, though. Yeah, and I'm still recovering. I we, you know, we're uh, I don't know how many times we're going to mention this, unfortunately, but we just got back from FinCon in New Orleans. We're there for a week, and then I was up and driving up to New York, met with uh, some 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 folks that uh, some friends from Bloom, and had some drinks with them, and then drove home, and that's just. <laughs> I just want to, all I want to do is sleep. Just give me a day. And then, and then today we're podcasting all day. So I need some serious rest. It, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. And you too. I know. I'm I running know. on fumes. But we don't have time to rest today because we have a guest on the show today. And we're going to talk about negotiation. And we have a negotiation expert, Dan Green of the negotiationblog.com. And he also has Bridge Consulting, which is you can find at bridgeci.com. Dan, how are you? I'm great, guys. How you doing? Drinking anything? I am. I am drinking a healthy, tall Coca-Cola Zero mm. and uh, also a glass of water. Got to stay hydrated. Yeah, especially with all that sugar. Hey, man, there's no sugar in this. This is just sweet, sweet aspartame. That's the <laughs> sweet, sweet aspartame. So let's, I mean, simple to dive into this. I know a lot of people who are listening uh, are probably looking for negotiation tips when it comes to getting a raise, right? That's, that seems to be a common thing. So do you have any, uh, I mean, just to get kind of just dive right into it, um, you know, a, a scenario that I can come up with was I, I one time went to my boss and I had asked for a raise and he negotiated with me and said, how about you just sign up instead for our 401k where we offer matching? And I said, okay. What and at the time I had no idea. So technically I didn't even get a raise because I, you know, money was actually taken out of my paycheck, even though it's going towards <laughs> myself. But I mean, how does somebody uh like even start off before they even get into the negotiation stage? How do, how should somebody prepare for something like that? Well, I think that's a great question. It's a question that I get asked a lot. Um, I'm always getting hit up by friends who are trying to get either promotions or raises or the negotiating new job offers. And I think just the question that you ask of how should they prepare, most people don't ask themselves. Mm. <laughs> Usually what they'll ask me is, what do I say yeah. in order to get a raise? How do I get more money? Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it, it's a topic that we're never really taught. I mean, I don't know if you guys in, in college or in high school ever took a class on how to negotiate a job offer or how to negotiate a salary. I certainly wasn't until I got into the field of negotiation. I mean, is that something you teach? I'm based in Canada, by the way, so maybe it's something that's more common at colleges down in the States. Do you guys go through that, or do you sort of have to wing it on your own? Andrew, Absolutely not. Yeah, no, I was, yeah, I didn't think Andrew had it at college. I certainly didn't have it in high school. You know, you know how I learned it? This is going to sound so bad. But there's a, there was a game called uh, Theme Park on Sega, and you oh, had to... game. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I played it, man. And you had to negotiate with like the um, like the areas, like to get I don't I don't know to get more money. And it was two hands that came out from the side of the screen, and you would like push your hand forward, and then the you know, the other hand would come closer to you, and then you would back off a little bit, and you would try to negotiate the lowest price by like just playing this hand game, and then until your hands like connected and shook, and that's where you land on the price. So that's about as much negotiation so education as I had. Not even related to negotiation. Nope, nope, not at all. <laughs> not even close. Everything I learned in life, I learned from video games, that yeah, sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's super common. Most people are not taught or self-taught. Um, if we're taught at all, most people don't give it a whole lot of thought. Yet, if you watch people negotiate their salaries, um, 
you start to notice that there are patterns and most people are negotiating it the same way. So I don't know if you guys can either speak from your personal experience or you have friends of yours or maybe people who you've worked with. Um, like, how do you hear people generally, if they come up to your boss, if I'm your boss, what do people generally say? Do you want a salary? What would you generally say to me? If, if you were my boss and I wanted yeah. to get a raise, uh, I'd, I'd, I think I'd ask for some time first. I mean, that okay. would be, I would be nervous as all hell. And I would walk up and I'd say, hey, is there a chance later today or tomorrow we can sit down and have a conversation? That's, that's, where, I, that's where I would start. Okay. And that's actually better than most people who would just oh. barge into the conversation. So creating out a space to have that conversation is a good start. Yeah, like kick in the door, say, money, give it to me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not, that, that's not that good. hasn't been working. <laughs> no, okay. No, that's what I would do. I would just ask, I would set up a, a personal one on one meeting with my boss. Uh, make sure there was time dedicated to it, and that's that's my first step. Mm-hmm. Andrew, uh, I mean, I would do the same, and I think it would just well, what's worked for me. And I definitely am not like a, a pro. I just throughout the the year, I, instead of like necessarily pulling them into a room, I would just like give indications that I would like a raise. You know, not like asking for a number, but just kind of like. A couple times seed the expectation through the year, and then a hope, I guess, at the end that it was enough. There's a great cartoon which I saw recently, which has a bunch of guys with swords sitting on ostriches, and they're lined up in a battle formation. On on the other side, there's these guys in heavy cavalry with rifles, and you know the speech bubble is uh, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> and so That's true. Um, it, Yet, you know, I say that in jest, but partially, actually, what you guys are saying is even a step beyond what most people do. Most people don't alert their boss prior to actually having the conversation that they're interested in getting a raise, so they blindside them. And secondly, they don't create a second uh, a space to have that conversation, even if they have their boss's attention. And then when they're in the conversation, and this may resonate with you guys, or you've certainly probably seen other people do it, people tend to give justifications for getting a raise by saying, a number of the following things, or any one or a combination. Like one, look, I have produced so much over the last year since I last had a salary increase um, that I feel deserve I deserve a raise. Um, or maybe I've been here for you know four years, therefore I deserve a raise. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a freelancer and you're negotiating your rate, uh, the version of that is like, look, I have a track record in my career to be able to charge whatever it is, $100 an hour, $200 an hour. Um, and then the last one that people are argue for, usually more junior people, is um, based on their financial need. You know, I just relocated. I have a wife and kids, or uh, you know, I have student loan debts to pay off. Therefore, I need a raise. Um, so, you guys recognize any of those? I recognize both of them, and I'm I'm going to assume the second one is the, probably the worst thing you can do. Which one? The need? Yeah, the need one. I, I was going to say, like, uh, I think that. They all are very self-serving. I, I don't, I don't know actually what to n- say otherwise. But I could just tell, like the common theme is me, 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 me. And the other thing is, is I, I used to keep a work journal, so I would write down like every little tiny accomplishment I'd make, and I would send that over to my boss. Like, here's everything I've done. Yeah. Or even if I didn't send it to him, I, I had it. You know what I mean? I could just, if before I went into the, to, you know, ask for a raise, I could look at everything and say, oh, okay, well, you know, if he asks questions, I can start rattling off things that I've done. Yeah. Well, well for one, you sound much more organized than most of the people that asked me this question. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but Andrew, I think you're hitting on the point, which is, yeah, th- these are extremely common. Um, your listeners will probably recognize them. Most people tend to negotiate their salary that way. I agree that arguing based on what you need is by far the least effective um, for a couple different reasons. Um, But essentially, the underlying problem is the same. When you're talking about what you have produced, how long you've been here, your track record, or what you need, um, your focus is twofold. One, it's on yourself. And two, it's on the past, everything you've done up until now. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I am a realist and I will, I will tell your listeners that those are two things that your boss doesn't really care about. <laughs> yeah, he already paid boss. you for those, yeah. Yeah, exactly. What your boss is focused on is on themselves and on the company and in the future. 
All right. So how do you go about selling that aspect? Like what's, what are your, what are some of the things that people should be doing? So I think that a couple of things you guys mentioned, um, Andrew was mentioning that uh, early on he tends to signal that he may want to raise or does want to raise. Yeah, and I don't uh, know how you actually do that. What do you what do you do? Like would you wear like a sticker? I <laughs> know, <laughs> I mean I'll like, just tell my boss, I'd be like, you know, I I would really like a, a promotion this year. I just like, you know, I, I'm kinda hoping to make a little bit more money because I want to blah 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 and i guess it is still me 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 like because i would say like oh i want to get a house or get married or whatever but but like when you're like up at the coffee stand you're just sitting there you know drinking a cup of coffee like man i could really use a raise right now wink that kind of deal well so i was i was close to my ex-bosses but like i also was a smokers and they were smokers so we'd be outside having Uh. a smoke break like and we just bullshit about like i don't know like cosmos and stuff and I just kind of like, yeah. So you think they're giving raises this year? Because like I could really use it, hmm. like stuff like that. That's yeah. So I think that that's that's not bad. I would actually take it one step farther and sit down with your boss in a meeting and be very deliberate and say, look, um, here's where I, I'm interested in going in my career, whether it's a promotion or the next salary uh, level up in your company or above what you're making and signal very clearly, here's what I want to be making over time. Then the the second part is ask them, what would I need to be doing or what would I need to do in order for that to make sense from your side? Hmm. So ask ask, ask your boss that. Yeah. Interesting. It sounds really simple, right? Like the boss is going to be the one who's making the decision. Obviously, you would want to ask them, like, why would they want to give you a raise? (laughs) I, I assume they don't want to give you a raise. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they probably don't if you just come and blindside them and say, okay, look, all things being equal, like you're going to perform, you've been performing, you're going to keep performing, I would rather pay you less. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yet your boss's primary interest is not in paying you less. It's in making more money for the company. Mm-hmm. So, so you can signal that you want a raise, but you want to do it in a way that makes sense for the company, then it, it shifts the focus of the conversation to how could I actually be doing my work so that it would be worth it for you to give me a raise? What happens if you you know he says, well, you need to do X, Y, and Z, um, and you do like X, Y, and Z, and like I don't know another thing, and it comes time to get a raise and, and you don't get one? Like, are you did he then like call your bluff and now you have to leave because you did what he said and and he didn't give it to you? Well, I think that's a different conversation. Um, yeah. And I don't think by signaling up front, you're necessarily, in fact, I would encourage people not to put it on the table like an ultimatum. Like, look, if I don't get a raise by the end of this year, I'm leaving. You could certainly say that. I'm not sure what kind of message that's going to send to your boss. But it's different than just saying, look, I really want to be you know, a manager. I want to be a senior manager. I want to be making 20% more than I'm making now. What would I have to do in order to be there? Yeah. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like you're... It, you're it makes you look like you're excited to move up in the company and to really help the company. And that's what their, that's what their goals are. That's what your boss's goals are. So I think that enthusiasm to want to move up and really do something more for the company is going to show that, you know, you're worth more money. And I can tell you that that ultimatum scenario doesn't work. I got fired because of it. So I, I, I got another job offer and I came back to my boss and I said, uh, hey, I got another job offer, this other place, they're paying me you know, $10,000 more. If you can match that, I'd love to stay here. And he said, uh, okay, Googled my name and then fired me the next day. <laughs> Wait, he Googled your name? What he Googled, you- yeah, well, he Googled my name and found out that I, I had a site about um, swimming pool care and that's, I was working for a pool company at the time. Um, and he, just, he, he was looking for excuses to get rid of me. Mm-hmm. So he he found a what he called a conflict of interest and and I said well I already you know I had another job you didn't have to do that you could just you said all right well good luck in your next position but he needed that he needed that excuse yeah and people don't respond well to threats no I mean, they that's, do not that's not news for anybody on this yeah. podcast I'm sure I didn't know like at the time I thought it was like a negotiation technique like I thought it was like mm-hmm. you know just pit pit two people against each other you know. And have them bat- have them have a go-, go over bidding war over me. Turns out that doesn't really work so well. Yeah, I mean, it, to be frank, it actually can sometimes. Unfortunately, there are companies out there that are really cheap, and I've I've worked with some of them. And the only thing that allows them internally to justify a raise is if they're going to lose someone. Mm. Um, that does happen out there, 
And I think it's a really risky strategy, particularly if you're doing it at the last minute, minute like it sounds in your case. Yeah. You're waiting and saying, okay, I'm about to leave. You got to offer me more money to stay. Um, but there's a huge difference in that between that and asking your boss up front at the beginning of the year and saying, what would I have to do to make it to this next level in terms of my earning potential, in terms of my title, roles, responsibilities, whatever. And I think the reason for that is, yeah, it does signal to your boss uh, where your head is at and what kind of a performer you are. At the same time, what tends to happen in these salary negotiations is we guess about what the criteria that they're using to evaluate salary are. So we're thinking, okay, I've been here for four years and the last four, four people or last people who were here for four years also got a salary increase. Mm. Well, they may have also done like four other things that you didn't see. Right. Mm. And so as soon as we're leaving up to guesswork of like, I'm, I think that I deserve a raise because I'm doing X, Y, and Z, that may not be relevant at all to your boss. So unless you find that out, it's always going to be a tough conversation at the end. So when... I go like to my boss and, and you know, I, I get nervous for sure. Uh, but I ask him and, and I guess maybe it's within my personality. Um, my wife has been at jobs and they like severely underpay her. She's like knocking out of the park. Everyone loves her. Like she's like, you know, the one. Uh, but like she she can't do it. Like she it's like she can't ask for the raise or, you know, that maybe they're not taking her seriously is this not not to be like sexist but is this like a common thing with with women yeah so that uh, i mean maybe we can we can tackle that as a whole other topic of conversation but i think that um women in negotiation and i get to ask this question a lot also like are women worse negotiators than men um i also know that this this topic is a bit of a minefield, especially as like three dudes talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, was, I was not expecting that question. So we, you know, you have to be a little bit careful whenever you're talking about trends amongst gender or anything else. Um, that being said, there has been a lot of research done on how do women negotiate and is it different? Is it, you know, for lack of a better term, better or worse than men? And I think to go back to your example, Andrew, um, there is a lot of research suggesting that women do have trouble asking for more money. And there is a lot of research suggesting actually that women have trouble asking for a lot of different things, asking for a promotion, asking for time off, even around the house, asking for their husband uh, or significant other to share more of a burden of what's going on at home, um, child rearing, et cetera. And there's been a number of really good books about that recently. One is called Women Don't Ask by two professors whose names escape me right now. Um, and then they wrote a follow-up book about that called Ask For It, which is essentially the partly the, the first book as well as some tips on how you can actually ask for what you want or mm -hmm. what you're worth. Mm -hmm. I, I want to go down a scenario path. I think one of the biggest problems with, with a raise in general uh, is just getting up to guts to start the process. Now, mm -hmm. do, do you think, is there any like tips or things to put someone at ease if, if say, like they're going, they're heading into the, to the negotiation room? Like, is there things that, you know, people worry about but really shouldn't be worried about? Yeah, I think that there's certainly things that they can do. One, um, the earlier you start having this conversation, the easier it is. And I'll explain why. Because if you're waiting and sort of saving everything up to ask at the end of the year and when it's time for your performance evaluation, um, there is a lot of pressure because you're alerting your boss at that time that you want to raise and it may make the difference of if you stay at the company or if you don't and a whole bunch of other you know, stuff that you've got going on, obviously your income is going to affect. So if you're leaving everything to that one conversation, that's going to be a tough conversation. Mm -hmm. It's easier for most people to have a general conversation up front at the beginning of the year when they first get hired, when they first either receive a raise or, or a promotion or whatever it is to say, what is it that I would have to do to get to the next level? Like hmm. very concretely, how do you even think about how to award raises? Um, like what goes into your calculus? What are you looking at when you award 50,000, a hundred $500,000 a year to someone? How do you even think about that decision? That is a much easier conversation to have because you're not actually asking them for anything. You're just looking to get their perspective. Right. And you're looking to learn how you can navigate through that. Exactly. Interesting. Now, 
Uh, when you go in, another problem that I have is, all right, you get up the, you get up enough guts or nerves or whatever to set the meeting. Uh, you have the meeting, you're in the, you're in the room, right? What are some things you should do to prepare before entering that room? I think a big question that I have is how do you know how much to ask for? Mm -hmm. So these are really good questions. Um, I think that a couple different pieces of advice that I would have prior to going in to help you have that conversation in a more productive way. Um, I used to teach negotiation at an MBA program and all of my students were sort of mid-career and they were looking to change from one job to the next or uh, negotiate a, a better position or a better salary once they graduated. So they always asked me about this stuff. It was a huge section of the course that they wanted to focus on. And I always gave the same piece of adver advice first, which is go in to your second choice job interview first. Negotiate the best possible deal that you can in your second choice. Um, ask for your two weeks to think about that. And during that time, walk into, your into the negotiation with your first choice. And the, the reason is pretty simple around that because, uh, one, if you have a pretty good deal from your second choice company and you can actually, you're somewhat excited about taking it and you have that in your back pocket, like, how do you feel when you're talking to your boss or your first choice company? Hmm. Yeah. I'm well, I think I lost it. So, I mean, is it? No, is it? I mean, are you saying like it's just if you go to your second choice first, you're just more relaxed because you've been through it? Well, one, you're more relaxed from your you're more relaxed because you have been through it, and two, you still have that as an alternative to walk away to. If you say, "Look, I need a couple weeks to think about this," which is you know totally common and legitimate in the job search, mm -hmm. is to ask for two weeks to think about the offer. Then, when you're negotiating you feel much more confident because if this doesn't go well, you, will, you know you have something to walk away to. You know you're going to have another job. And is that something you recommend? The idea yeah. of like walking away or having, or having the, enough guts to walk away? I recommend having something to walk away to for a couple different reasons. Um, even if you're totally not planning and you're really committed to the company that you're talking to, uh, if you ha have something to walk away to, you feel much more relaxed. So you're much less likely to take this kind of intransigent positional bargaining approach and get really nervous when it comes to negotiating what's fair compensation. Mm -hmm. The second reason is how many times have you guys been lying awake at night wondering like, should I accept this job interview, this job offer or not? Like, I'm sure all of your listeners have been in that position. You're literally losing sleep because you don't know whether or not to accept an offer. Right. Those decisions kill me. Yeah. Yeah, they're really tough. And one of the reasons is because we don't know what we're going to walk away to. We, we don't know. We don't have any sort of external benchmark. And so if I have, you know, offer from company B at uh, $50,000 a year and the company I'm negotiating with offers me 51000 then I know very, like right away, it makes sense for me to take that offer com compared to my alternatives. If I don't so, have anything and I just have a rough idea, I could go and talk to these three other companies. All of a sudden, I've lost that benchmark for me. How do you reconcile like the the part where say you know you're at your job and it's fifty k and someone else offers you sixty k? So on the face, it it's more money, but you know exactly what you have at your current job, and maybe it's not bad. Like may, maybe they're just not able to give you the raise, which is why you're looking and you're looking in this other company, and that could work out great but it could also just bomb and then you're gonna have to what like come crawling back yeah i think that uh, it's a good question i'm not sure i have a specific answer there's always is the you know the grass is greener on the other side of the fence phenomenon mm -hmm. and that's going to exist i'm not sure that's a specifically a negotiation challenge i think one way where it could play out is if you have that conversation up front and you really understand, okay, my boss and my company is using these criteria, and if I stay another six months, I know that they're going to give me more than $60,000 because I understand how they make that decision. That may sort of make that decision a little bit easier for you. Um, if it's some larger, like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to be happy at that other company, I'm not sure I have, if I have any particular advice on how to think about that and how to avoid that kind of dilemma. Right. How do you, how do you decide what to uh, ask for monetarily, and I think, uh, this, and I want to, and I, after this, like I want to go into other areas because there's other areas of negotiation, like besides just a job raise. But I'm curious on this one specifically. 
So I think about it in a couple different ways. Certainly there's the traditional, um, you know, you can ask around and find what you should be making for your position. That's how most people who know or who have thought through the negotiation would, um, I hope, would at least ask that. They would ask mentors of theirs, uh, friends at other companies, even friends in the company. They could, uh, you know, find out for my position, what should I be making, you know, this year, next year, et cetera. There's also some more tools these days online. There's a salary.com, glassdoor.com, which you can actually look and see. In my position in this part of the country, uh, with my levels of year, uh, my number of years of experience, here's the salary range. So those can be super helpful. And I think that they can be when it comes to thinking about what are the parameters. Personally, I like to, again, I keep going back to that, uh, the, the upfront conversation, because I think that you can get a very clear sense of exactly how much you can expect and not guessing, not based on, you know, broad market forces or, or trends. But you can ask your boss at the front of the year, look, if I want to make $150,000 a year in this company, one, is that even possible? Mm -hmm. um, what would I have to do? And here's the question that I absolutely love. Under what conditions would you actually be happy to pay me $150,000 a year? I like that question. That's an interesting question. It's a simple question, but it's not something yeah. most people ask, right? Because they tend to be focused on themselves and what they've done and on the past. Right, and and at, in the heat of the moment, I think it's a you have to remember that, and that's the thing. Like once you're once you're in the room, right? You're in the room, and and negotiation really should just should be a back and forth, right? Yeah. All right. So where do you like? Who should be the person to start it? Or is your goal as the person looking for the deal or the raise or the sale or whatever it is, should you be the one to start off with a price or should you try to get them to tell you the price first? Okay, um, good question. I think that there's a lot of emphasis put around that and there's a lot of advice online. Um, I personally think that you know if you've done everything else right, that, that doesn't really matter. If you've had a conversation at the beginning of the year and your boss says, hey, look, if you do X, Y, and Z, like I guarantee you're going to be making $150,000 at this company and you do X, Y, Z plus one, two, three, as, as Andrew was referring, mm. you know, it, it's less important who puts the first number on the table. That being said, I always try and be proactive in negotiations. I always try and put the number, a number on the table first because you have, assuming, you know, it's for your salary, you've put a lot of thought into this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what you feel you deserve, what you feel, um, your boss has alluded to or what you have a very clear sense of what they said that you could be making. So I don't see that there's any benefit to waiting to hear what your boss can or cannot offer as long as you're not putting it down in the form of an ultimatum, like give me $150,000 or I'm out of here. Yeah, or else. Uh, exactly. And secondly, you know, there's been an immense amount of research on this. Um, all things, other things being equal, whoever puts down the first number has more of an influence on the final uh, the final number that you agree to. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you put this number out, how do you make sure that you're not going to scare them away? I mean, or, or is that not a thing? Like if I'm making 50 and I say 90, like is that just me being an asshole? I mean, Dan, I've done that before. I've gotten laughed out of a room. Yeah, so again, I think that this is why I keep going back to that upfront conversation at the beginning of the year. So here's exactly what I would say if, if I were in the in the room conversation. I would say, look, uh, you know, Matt and Andrew, uh, we sat down a year ago and I, I, I asked you a couple questions about what it would take to be a $150,000 performer here. Um, you guys said that uh, this is exactly what I would need to do in order to for that to be to make sense for the company and for actually for you guys to would you would want to pay me that amount if I did those things. Um, you guys remember that conversation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know we've talked about in my performance review that I am on track. I am doing all those things. So you know now I'm really at the 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 point where I I feel that 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 salary figure makes sense for me going going forward. Hmm. I, I another area that um, and I don't know if this is similar. Uh, but uh, negotiating a sale, right? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people have hard time have a hard time, uh, and I and I, I don't I don't like it personally. Is going in and buying a car. I don't think it should have to be a, a, so hard. Just give me the price, and I just let me, let me walk out with a car. 
but because mm -hmm. of negotiation, we have to do that. So now we're forced to learn this technique and end with and with job raises as well. Are, are these two things similar? Do they have do they have similar like tactics in order for to uh, to be a successful negotiator? I mean, I think that it depends on how you're defining a successful negotiator. Getting something that you want at the end. Yeah, and if you just look at like a, a final sticker price on a car, for example, there's a number of ways that you can go about doing that. And I tend to think that the, the traditional tactics that people use around, you know, buying a car is the stereotypical one that they use around that tend to be not very effective for negotiating a job offer because they, be, they tend to be very hard on the relationship. Like you mentioned, you can literally, if you highball someone with a ridiculous number, that may be fine if you're, if you're selling a car or buying a car because you don't really care if you're going to see that person again. True. But True. if it's at your company, you're going to lose a large amount of credibility, especially if you take the approach that I'm, uh, I'm advocating for, which is, hey, look, you said that I could make $150,000 if I did this, you know, these things. I feel like I've done those. You've given me positive feedback throughout the year. Um, therefore, I want $250,000. Like, what? what? Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> who, who is this guy? You, yeah. know, you totally undermine the entire approach that you're taking, and you've gone back to this sort of, you know, well, what's your number? What's your number? Right. And uh, that's, I think, where most people don't want to be when they're negotiating with someone that they have to see every day. Interesting. All right. So there is there is a big difference between those two. I think that that there there is, and um, I think that even when you're dealing with a one-off conversation, to take these old school approaches can be risky. You know, I was uh, I produced a documentary this year, and uh, for the first time ever, I put a couple different producers together with a director and got involved in some financing, and we got into Sundance this year, which was like crazy cool experience. We went down to Sundance and one of the other producers decided to find us a house. And he is a, you know, typical Hollywood, you know, what you think of when you imagine the slick agent beating people down on price. Right. And I, I couldn't believe it. Actually, I kind of felt embarrassed for myself that he got on the phone with this guy. I wasn't really involved, but he got him down to like 50% of the price that this guy was asking for. Uh, in Park City, Utah, an amazing place during Sundance. Yeah. Usually it's 50% higher. Yeah. This guy got 50% below. I was thinking, man, I had a whole like identity thing going on. Like I'm supposed to be the negotiation guy right, right. involved in this. I don't think I ever could have gotten that good of a deal, even if I was trying. What do you do? What do you do? He basically used every dirty trick in the book. Okay. Just like, you right. know, leverage the relationship. Man, this is a good film. We're really counting on you. And like all kinds of different tactics that I won't really go into. Um, but he, he got him down to, to like roughly 50%. And then the guy was so pissed at what he had agreed to. The guy was renting the house that he looked for every opportunity to weasel his way out of the deal. And in fact, a week before the, uh, a week before Sundance, he actually booted us. Wow. That's And he's like, that's it. You know, you had one, la one last minute change. One of the people there, our composer was going to have his kids there. And he was like, that's it. I'm taking away the house. And then it got really ugly. The director had to get involved. Long story short, we ended up staying in the house, but we'll never stay there again. Right. What was the film? Uh, it's called Marmato. It's a documentary about a Colombian mining town, which uh, we're still on the festival circuit, but all the listeners, you guys can check it out on uh, Netflix in 2015. Yeah, I will definitely check that out. That's awesome. So there's one more thing that I want to talk about on the salary negotiation front um, because I think it's a mistake that people make and I, I can hear it sort of creeping into the way we're discussing it now which is I think that people tend to have a salary negotiation conversation at the same time as they're finding out how they're doing so it's a performance evaluation come uh, salary negotiation uh, that can really come back to bite you in the ass you don't want the first time that you're figuring out how your boss thinks you're doing to be in the conversation where you're asking for more money. Mm. So I always advise people totally separate them out, go in, have your performance evaluation, you know, have the conversation at the beginning of the year, find out exactly what you would need to do, have your performance evaluation conversation at the time of the year when that's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And then assuming that they tell you, Hey, two thumbs up, you're knocking it out of the park. You're doing all the things we said we can do. Now, you know that there is no reason why they would not want to offer you more money. Right. And that's the time to go in. Exactly. Is there any, um, like, I think we kind of, we touched on this a little bit in the beginning, but is there like a common, like, mistakes that people make? 
Uh, yeah, there's tons of them. I think I one, figured there would be, yeah. You know, saying I, I have financial need. Right. You know, I, uh, I have student loans or whatever. This is a big mistake for a couple of reasons. One, your boss doesn't care. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, they like to feel that they're giving you a living wage, but they don't really care about your financial, you could have a gambling problem for all they know. Right, like, right. That's not their responsibility. Right. Also, if you ever get them to say yes, you're putting a cap on what you can make. Because you've just now set a precedent for the reason for giving me more money is financial need. And so unless my financial need greatly goes up, it doesn't make sense for you to give me more money. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one. Some of the stuff we talked about at the beginning, not having a conversation up front to signal and be very clear to them that you know I'm interested in progressing throughout this organization, not understanding what are the criteria that they use right. uh, to evaluate uh, uh, salaries and salary decisions. Uh, not putting the first number on the table and sort of gaming it and waiting for your boss to offer you a salary number. These are all super common mistakes. So uh, I want to kind of go back to that car scenario piece. And I think like everyone pictures themselves on like the side where they're buying the car. But uh, I'm curious, like what, what if you're the guy selling the car? Like what can you do? To you know, because you want to uh, not sell it for the same price down the street, you want to sell it for like five thousand dollars more. Other like you know ways like buy them flowers or something that that kind of work. Uh, I mean, it depends on who you're selling the car to. Buy them flowers? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want flowers. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that building a relationship anytime you're negotiating is important. Um, Nobody likes to do business with people who they don't really know and that they don't really like. So if you can genuinely establish some sort of relationship with that person, that can only help you. Uh, it's not going to, especially in the example of a car, that alone is probably not going to make someone pay $5,000 more. But what it does do is allows you to have a more open conversation where you don't necessarily fall back into this haggling pattern. And I see, by the way, if it hasn't become clear now, I see a huge difference between negotiating and haggling. They're not the same thing. I don't see haggling and negotiation as the same thing. Haggling is a process whereby you put in a high number, I put in a low number, um, we make a series of concessions that seem really painful artificially maybe to both sides, we threaten to leave, and then we maybe get a deal that's in the middle. I think that's one way to negotiate, and in my experience, it's just not all that effective. Mm-hmm. It's not all that sophisticated. It is what people have been doing for like literally tens of thousands of years. You know, ever since we started to barter between, in, in marketplaces year, thousands of years ago, that's what we've been doing. But in the last like 30 or 40 years, people have started studying it and, and, and thought like, oh, like newsflash, maybe we should be thinking about this process slightly differently. Maybe we don't have to make these really extreme demands, but we can instead seek to understand well, why is it that you're asking for what you're asking for and then come to a solution that seems fair and that works for both parties. So in the, in the scenario of the car, for example, I think that having a good relationship isn't on its own going to make someone cave to a $5,000 demand or an arbitrarily higher price. But what it may allow you to do is have the trust to have a conversation where that person can tell you what they're really interested in. And you may be able to meet those interests, even if it's in something so quick as, as, uh, as negotiating a car, in a way that provides extra value for them. So if you have a strong relationship, like let's say Andrew and I are negotiating that car and I'm trying to buy it from you, if we have no pre-existing relationship, we're probably going to jump right to price, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to say, here's what it is. I'm going to, and I'm probably going to start devaluing the car saying like, Oh man, like, I don't know what you've been doing in the back seat there. Like, you know, yeah. it looks, <laughs> looks yeah. a little sketchy back <laughs> right. there. Where's the rust on that door? And, and that's a tactic, right? I'm trying to devalue it so that you'll give me a lower price. If we have a good relationship up front, I'm probably not going to do that. And you can probably ask me direct questions around like, like, tell me about like, you know, why are you buying a car now? What's going on? And you may get to the fact, for example, that which is actually true. If I were in New York buying a car right now, I would, as a Canadian, have no interest in dealing with paperwork, um, transferring or buying insurance. Mm -hmm. I hate that kind of shit. I don't know where to to find a garage. So if you could offer me a package like, look, man, I can take care of the paperwork for you. I can hook you up with my insurance and just change the name on it. I can hook you up with my guy who works in my garage. 
we can, you can keep getting the car service. That actually may be worth $5,000 more for me. Right. Yeah, and I, the, the card thing is tough for me because I've never had a good experience negotiating a car deal. I have friends that are really good at it, and I have, and for me, it's I, it's just here's the number I want to pay, and then you just keep going in the back room, coming out with it. Oh, well, we can get you down to this. I'm like, no, I came in for this price. All right, let me go in the back room and just keep going in the back room until they come down the month the price that I want because I did the research prior to. Is that you know why why do we have to do that? that, that that's my question. Why is it why is this a thing? Yeah, it's old school, man. Yeah, I mean, it sucks. It really does suck. And uh, more and more, you, you see that people are getting away from that. Well, that, True Car, right? That's what True Car is all about, that website where they they do all the research for you on these, on these used cars. And then it's like, you know what the car's worth. You walk in and say, this is what I want to pay. Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, with it sounds super cliche to say like, well, the internet changed everything. <laughs> right, right. But when it comes to like buying a car, it actually did. Yeah. Because before there was this huge asymmetry of information where the car dealer knew where the margin was, they knew where they could push the price to, they could bullshit you and you mm-hmm. had no idea. Now you can do all that research. You can be more informed about that car than the person selling it. Yeah, and there's actually companies, uh, CarMax, I think, is a, another company that they just, there is no haggling. They're, that's, you know, they don't do it. And they make that clear. And I think that's great. Yeah, I do too. Because nobody likes, I mean, it's not true that nobody likes, some people like it, you know, mm-hmm. haggling in a bizarre market. Oh, I know people that love doing it. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, a, it's kind of a fun game. But that's my, and that's another thing too. Is everything really negotiable? Uh, what do you mean by that question? So that's, a, it's something I've heard so many times. This is a phrase that I've heard which is everything's negotiable. You can walk into Best Buy and get a better deal, even though it's a retail store. You can, everything, you know, is, is, a, is you know, take some back and forth. You can always get a better deal. And I have, I have people that live by that philosophy and they really do get better deals than most people because they went and in, they actually asked. They actually tried negotiating instead of not doing it. Like you never know. In fact, I can give you, I, I, had, to, I had it on my brain and it's such a stupid little purchase. But I went down to the mall and I wanted to, I wanted to buy uh, Rosetta Stone to learn Spanish. And it was a $250 uh, software for, I think, uh, package one and two. And I, I just, I don't know, it, it popped in my head and I'm like, you know what? Everything is negotiable. Let me, let me try this out. So I said, hey, man, I'll give you $200 for this. He goes, sold. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I I didn't pay. I just got fifty bucks off just because I asked. And I've done that a couple times where I'm like, hey, you know, I uh, I'm like, hey, how about I give you, you know, one seventy five for this? And then the guy will say, oh, all right, how about how about one eighty? I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. It actually works, and you never know. Like, and and so do you do you do that a lot in like your personal life, or is that something you think people should practice? Yeah, I think that. Is everything always negotiable? No, it isn't. Sometimes <laughs> you just can't get around it. Maybe not at and, Walmart. Yeah. yeah. And I think I agree with, you know, with your, uh, the way you're teeing that up, which is if you ask for stuff, a lot of the time you will get it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you wouldn't believe the amount of time that I'm just in a, you know, a clothing store or whatever. And I'm chatting up the salespeople and I say, so, you know, is there any chance I can get a discount on that? Right. And they will say yes, just because I asked. You know, and my friend, a friend of mine, uh, Carlson, who is he's really good at this stuff. He's really good at buying cars. He just, he just negotiated a car deal. It was like insane. And he said, you know, he's a military guy. He goes, I, every time I walk somewhere, I go to buy something, I always ask for a military discount. But not only that, he will uh, go up into an airport and just walk up to the front counter and say, hey, is there any chance I can get an upgrade? Because just because he asked. And, and they might say, oh, we can't do that, but we can, we can offer you this. And he, and he usually gets a good deal out of it. Same with hotels. Yeah, I do that all the time too. Yeah, so, it is, so it's not, maybe not everything's negotiable, but I mean, I guess there's a lot of things that you can just, if just by asking, you can get. You can, and especially in terms of like retail, there's no real risk to damaging a relationship with someone in their line counter. Sure. It, it, it's a totally legitimate ask. Hey, you know, is there any chance I can get an upgrade? That's legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people don't. You know, that's why it's working for your friend Carlson, for you, for me, for people who do ask is, you know, most people don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to tie that back into what we were talking about earlier with uh, uh, Andrew. You were mentioning that uh, I think you said your wife has a difficult time asking. Um, right. Yeah, I think that this is a huge issue that we, that we as men, as like three guys, we don't have visibility into that 
most people will not ask. And for women, it's actually very challenging a lot of the time. You know, not all women, of course. Uh, it, it's really challenging. And the numbers show that they don't ask. On top of that, the way that women negotiate to just say, look, well, women should now ask for everything and they should just negotiate just as assertively as men is not just like not very helpful advice. It's actually bad advice because studies have shown that if a woman negotiates the same way as a man, then she will be evaluated differently by the people not that she's, she's negotiating with or who are just observing her. They've done a series of experiments where they have actors role play out a script. And when the man is role playing it out, participants describe or observers describe him as very confident um, and intelligent. And when a woman is role playing out the exact same script in the same way, but just by virtue of being a woman, a woman, observers report her as being bitchy and domineering. Right. Hmm. And so, so it, yeah. it, it, it is a challenge for women that one, they don't ask. And there's a, a lot of the time there's a reason for that. And like, this is a, a major, major issue. I was actually stunned to hear about the statistics when you talk about like money-wise. If you look at two undergraduates who are coming out of college and they're, or they're, they're given a first job offer for like $45,000 a year, something like 70% of men end up asking for a higher salary and then negotiate. And something around 30, only 30% of women do. What I, that didn't really surprise me. What stunned me was how much that makes a difference in, term of, in terms of takeaway income at the end of the day. So if you negotiate one $5,000 raise when you're coming out of college and you don't do anything differently over the course of your career, you just keep getting incremental raises at the same rate as the person who got $45,000 and you bank all of that and you put it away, do you know what that represents over the course of your career? Hmm. How much? I don't know. One million dollars. Wow. Damn. <laughs> one negotiation over time compounds to one million dollars. You don't have to do anything else over the course of your career except right. negotiate that one $5,000 raise at the beginning. And you're a million dollars richer. Damn. So uh, I'm curious because... Uh, and I, I think I agree with you that women can't approach uh, negotiation the same way because it'll be perceived poorly. But then... You know, it's it, I, I'm, it's not like they can't negotiate. Like, how, how might they then approach it, I guess, from the other direction or something so that they could get a raise or, you know, become a manager or, or whatever they need without being a, perceived as, like, this terrible person? Yeah, like, what are, the, what are the differences in the negotiation room between men and women? Well, you know, like I was saying, if, if a man says, like, look, this is what I want, this is what I'm, I deserve – he will come across more times than not as being confident. Yeah, and so, um, If yeah. a woman says those exact same things, more times often than not, she will be described as bitchy. Mm -hmm. And that's unbelievably un unfortunate. I see that as like a humongous problem that's way beyond you know, what I do. That's a problem that we face as a society. Yes. That's the way. By the way, independently of if the observer is a man or a woman. I was going to ask that too. Like what if it's you know, two women or a man and a woman? It's the same. It's the same. Women yeah. describe other women who are assertive as bitchy. It's the same. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so this is a humongous problem. I think it's like one of the great injustices of you know the societies that we live in in Canada and the U.S. Um, and it, you know goes way beyond negotiation. Yet at the same time, it, negotiation is where is where I fit in and what right. what I work with. So I think that you know women can actually taking the approach that we've been talking about over this call of talking up front, asking a lot of questions, hearing the criteria come from uh, the, the person who's evaluating you rather than saying what you think you deserve at the beginning. I think that that can be done um, equally skillfully independent of what your gender is. Okay. There's one other thing which I've seen, a tactic which I read about from a couple uh, female professors from uh, Harvard and Babson College who, who wrote an article on negotiation that I found this technique, it's, it's somewhat controversial, so I'll just, you know, I, I see it, yeah. that up. I'll preface it with that because it's not mine, uh, so mm -hmm. I, I don't get flack from, you know, female listeners who are saying that um, what I'm suggesting is somehow you know, sexist or, or misogynistic. But sure. what they have found is that um, if in the conversation you're trying to say, look, here's what I am worth, it is more effective, and their studies have shown that it has been more effective for where a man can say, this is what I feel that I am worth, which is at the top of my field. 
A woman can reference somebody else saying, I've talked to a couple mentors of mine and they feel that I'm at the top of my field and that I should be paid commensurate with with that, which is $150,000, $200,000, whatever the, the heck the figure is. Right. So it's almost like passively saying what you're worth. Yeah. It's a way of, of externalizing the yeah. ask. Hmm. And again, I think that there are problems with that in that you know, it's unfair that women that that works for women and, and they, they can't straight up say this is what I'm worth. Well, wait a minute. I mean, uh, so if it works for women, wouldn't it also work for men? Maybe that's a good just general tactic. I mean, it could be. I haven't seen any research into it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my initial reaction as well. Like, yeah, maybe that's that maybe that's well. just a better approach, and it just happened to be working. You know, it was just two women that did the study in, to find the answer for women, but really that's just the answer for everyone. Yeah, and I mean, I think if you're coming across as arrogant um, or domineering in your negotiations, then yes, it is definitely a good tactic, regardless mm-hmm. of your gender. Um, there's another part of this for women, which is that. Women, a lot of women who I know tend to think that women are bad negotiators and they think that they're bad negotiators. And then sometimes I watch these women negotiating and I'm thinking, what the hell are you talking about? You are more skillful than 90% of the executives that I work with. Yeah. And what the research has, has shown, which is backed up, and I've definitely observed this as well, is women are incredibly good negotiators, particularly when they're negotiating on behalf of someone else. Hmm. And why is that? It, I, I don't know. Um, I'm not a gender specialist. Sure. Um, something about asking, you know, it goes back to the asking for what you want. Um, for some reason or some complicated set of reasons, women tend to have uh, challenges doing that. But when it's asking for what someone else wants or deserves, uh, women tend to be extremely effective in negotiating that. And I think that you, you probably observe this in your own lives. If you look around at the women you know, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, your mom growing up advocating on your behalf, mm-hmm. most people wouldn't look, I certainly wouldn't look at my mom and think like, well, you know, women are bad negotiators. <laughs> right. I look at her thinking, man, she is badass. ass. Yeah, she got yeah. me what I want a lot of the time. Right. Uh, in order to uh, sort of wrap things up, is there anything that, is there any like big, giant pieces of advice that you'd like to get at, get out there for people who are looking to either negotiate a job raise or a better, uh, or just another job? you know, going in for an interview or, uh, you know, maybe just a purchase of some sort? I'm not sure that there's anything that I've been sort of hiding or holding back that I haven't already said. Yeah. Um, the biggest things are uh, have the conversation early. Don't surprise anyone with it. Try and legitimately understand how is your boss seeing this? What are their criteria for thinking about salary? Try and satisfy those criteria And then when you come back to have the conversation, it's a totally different kind of conversation. It no longer feels like you're asking for something that they don't want to give. It starts to feel like, okay, I'm just, I've met my end of this, you know, quasi agreement. Um, You know, I I think that the compensation can follow that. I I, I don't want to draw a parallel, but I'm going to, I'm going to anyway. Um, Do you (laughs) think, do you, this sounds a lot like, like how dating works, right? So it's a lot of asking questions and just listening. And then being able to come back with, you know, a good second date. I think that's a fair analogy. It's okay. a fair parallel. I think that if there's one, when I work with people, and it doesn't really matter where they are in the world or what industry they are they're, that they're in, the biggest skill that's lacking that is important for negotiation is listening. Yeah, asking Understanding listening. how is the other side seeing this. Right. And yeah, absolutely that. We, some of us tend to be better at that in dating. Others of them, if you've ever sat next to people on the first date, you, all, you know that the, sometimes people aren't very good at that at all. Yeah, I, I think I'm one of them. People sitting next to me are like, that guy is not, is not doing well. He is bombing. <laughs> he man. is bombing. Yeah. He uh, just, speaking of which, I, uh, I, I sat next to uh, Jonah Hill. I was in L.A. recently, on a, and he was on a first date. Oh, are you serious? And, yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that was was really he nailing it or was he bombing? Actually, he was just kind of like this sweet, normal guy. Yeah. And I, I sort of sat next to him thinking, man, you're, you're Jonah fucking Hill. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> like, own it. Aren't you like, yeah, owning this date? And he was just like a normal dude. You see, he seemed like a sweet guy. Yeah, I know. I thought I've, I've heard about him too, but it's like you would think that that guy would just nonstop be talking about himself because of what he's yeah. done. But yeah, it seems to be the opposite. Yeah, which total is, opposite. Which is a good move. That's a good move, I think. And well, well, they left together, so there you go. Oh. Uh... 
shit, Jonah. <laughs> I was like spilling Jonah Hill secrets. Well, the next <laughs> girl we this podcast and like, who the fuck is? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> the next girl we see him at the red carpet with, well, no, that's probably yeah. the girl that Dan sat next to. There you go. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on and talking about us. I mean, talking to us about this because it is something, I mean, I, I definitely struggled with in the past. I feel like I've gotten a little better from it, but I mean, a lot of things that you said have been really helpful. Great. Well, it was my pleasure, guys. So thanks for having me on. You know, anytime that I can come back on and, uh, you know, it was great chatting with you. So happy to do it again. Yeah. You know what? I would really like to do a roundtable about negotiation. And where can people find you? So we, we've talked about it in the beginning, but I want you to kind of give uh, some places that people can find you. Yeah. So number one spot is the blog, which is the negotiationblog.com. Uh, that's where you can get access to content, what I'm writing about. Uh, I have a podcast on there about conflict management. Perfect. Um, called Con Man Talk. And uh, for on the corporate side of things, my company is Bridge Consulting, and the website is bridgeci.com. I also have on the that's going to be hosted on the blog coming up on October 30th. There is a webinar that I'm doing called "The Fundamentals of Price Negotiation," and it is a one-hour webinar for 97 bucks, and it specifically talks about the moment when you're in sales and someone pushes back on your price. You're you have an offer, you have a potential deal with a client and they say, yeah, I just want to see if you can give me a discount or I'm really going to need a discount on that. Right. How do you deal with that scenario? We have a one hour webinar totally focused on that. There's a hundred seats available. Um, right now, access is open only to Listen Money Matters listeners. Whoa. So oh, awesome. That, yeah. So how much is that? It's 97 bucks. It's on October 30th. Cool. So right now it's only open to your audience. Um, and the, they can find access to it at thenegotiationblog.com slash LMM promo. Cool. I mean, I'll definitely do that. I'll give you 25 for it. <laughs> <laughs> no? <laughs> can, we, can we haggle here? What's the deal? Yeah. Well, I wonder how effective the sales would go if I actually said yes to that. <laughs> how many people would actually show up? Oh, that's really cool, though. So we're, and, and they can go to the negotiation blog to sign up for that. Yeah, the negotiationblog.com slash LMM promo is where they can find it. Nice. I love it. That's so awesome. And I think, you know what, Andrew, I think we should do that. I, I think we need to do yeah, that. I think we need to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I will be there because, damn, do I need it. <laughs> yeah. And and I, uh, I'll pitch the movie again. I want to hear about the movie a little bit. Yeah, the the, the doc is uh, Marmato, which is, and I can believe you can find it at marmatomovie.com, M-A-R-M-A-T-O.com. It's going to be on Netflix in... Uh, early 2015 right now we're on the uh, festival circuit so we have a canadian premiere coming up in vancouver for anyone who's in vancouver at the vif the vancouver international film festival in toronto my hometown we're gonna have a couple screenings on october 1st and 2nd at uh, hot docs at the doc soup uh seminar or and, seminar, whatever you call it and the movie's about coal mining it's about gold mining gold mining Canada, actually it's a town that's being threatened with forced displacement from a canadian mining company and so it's uh, my director actually he lived in the town and shot the film over the course of six years whoa um so it's a really intense uh, intimate look at how do these things happen as they happen so it's a very different take on a you know your traditional document documentary about these things there's no narrative uh, excuse me there's no narrator uh, the story is told through the lives of the main characters. So, um, you know, if people are interested in Colombia, in mining, in the terrible things that we Canadians are doing in the world, you can check it out. Canadians don't do terrible things. What are you talking about? Who knew, right? right. I, know, I was shocked to me as well. Well, I, I, I love documentaries, so I will definitely be looking out for that on Netflix for sure. Because that's all Great. I do is watch documentaries on Netflix. It's like well, my biggest hobby. Early 2015. Perfect. Well, come on up to Toronto, man. You guys are always welcome. Oh, I would love to go to Toronto. Toronto's, wait, wait, where's Toronto? Is Toronto East Coast or West Coast? East Coast, like directly across the lake right. from Buffalo. Okay, cool. I'm, I, I really want to come up there. I think it'll be cool. Well, Dan, well, guys. yeah, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks again to you guys. And listen, if you guys have questions about any of this stuff, uh, and of course, uh, you can just visit our websites, listenmoneymatters.com, and email us at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And if you like the show, please subscribe. Uh, whatever app you use via iTunes, specifically Stitcher. Uh, there, I don't even know what other podcasting apps are. There are Pocket Cast or some stuff. Uh, but make sure you hit subscribe. That way you can get it automatically downloaded to your player every single day because we do an episode every day. And if you like the show, please leave a review because reviews help other people learn about the show 
and also subscribe. And we could use all the listeners because we want to educate everybody here, especially about negotiations. So I want to real quick le- uh, read a review from iTunes, and it's by Highwayman84. And he titles it Easy Listening or Easy Listen Five Stars. Very insightful information without a typical dry finance mumble jumbo. These guys make you feel like your drunk buddy is giving you the great investing slash savings advice. I don't know if you'd want to get it from your drunk buddy, but sure, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I can knock out multiple episodes in a row and they make my drive to work enjoyable. The only di- the only downside is these beer drinkers don't seem to realize that the best beer is brewed in the Northwest. I actually do know that the best beer is brewed in the Northwest, and I want some of it. So send it over to the (laughs) upper Northeast, please. And if you guys want, go to listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. We have uh, all of our resources that we talk about here on the show there. So that's it, guys. Thanks again for hanging out with us. And, of course, we look forward to the next episode. So later. Later, man.